Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Recorded Friday, February the 5th, 2016. This is the Western Devs Podcast. In this week's episode, the devs discuss performance metrics, but are quickly derailed. Boy, look here, we got something for you. Alright, so today we're going to talk a little bit about developer productivity. This is a topic that came up at some point this week on our Slack and caused a little bit of heated discussion in which Darcy was wrong again. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to set the record straight today. We're going to have a discussion about developer productivity. So I, I always remember developer productivity being something like, how many lines of code are you writing in a day? Uh, so does anybody measure their productivity in K-Logs? I'm, I'm trying to remember what was the uh, what was the actual discussion that we had and why was I wrong? Uh, because you're just wrong by default. I'm you were wrong because at... you wanted to measure productivity. Uh-oh. Oh, Uh-oh. Already we're getting into can we measure productivity. I think it started from somebody tweeted saying that it was impossible to measure developer productivity. Oh, yes. Now it's all coming back to me. Did this start with that Twitter fight you were having, Darcy? I, no, it wasn't. Okay, so it wasn't even my Twitter fight. It was somebody else's. And I just mentioned it to you guys. And then you guys took it on and was like, oh, rah, 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 rah. this was something between. Yeah, I got it now. Okay, okay. So there was a, there was a discussion on Twitter. And I'm, I'm just talking about, I'm looking for some of sort of the, the earlier highlights here. It was basically... I think what it came down to was one person saying that you should be able to quantify and measure a developer's productivity and through that, use that to hold them accountable. And the discussion around that became, well, what, how, how do you, what are you measuring? Like, are you measuring quality? Are you measuring speed? Are you measuring, you know, how can you take something like productivity from a creative activity and quantify one as being better than the other. So I think we should start with that instead of how we measure, why do we measure? What are we measuring? Um, you sure you don't want to read a definition from Wikipedia first? No, because, uh, uh, and, and I see what you did there, but I, uh, I don't think it necessarily applies here because it, there's a difference between saying um, how many widgets can you produce in a day? and saying how much code can you write in a day that like is is the amount of code even something that we care about or is it how much and this is something you always hear in organizations how much value did you deliver today the thing is is that it everything there is contextual it's contextual based on values culture um the type of work you're doing there's no one way to say this is how we're going to deliver or measure productivity I think it's something that needs to be determined at an organizational level or a department level and not something that we can just apply uh, with a wide paintbrush to an entire industry. And you see, everyone agrees because nobody's saying anything. And therefore, Simon was wrong. I was right. Okay. I think it is possible to measure productivity. I think that a lot of the concerns that we have of the like, oh, what if you're working on a particularly difficult feature and you know to, to write this feature takes 
six times as long as writing a simple feature? Is it is it still good productivity that you've managed to do that? I think a lot of these problems disappear when you take your measurements over a period of time, right? Like you're not going to have one person who writes all the difficult features and gets penalized for that. You're going to have that spread out across the team and they're going to, people are going to do different things. So all of this is going to, it's going to even out, it's going to average out and you will end up with some metrics. This ties back to our no estimates discussion is that over time you get a good sense of somebody's productivity because you can see stories moving across the board and and you've got points attached to them. And yeah, we can factor in things like they take time off for vacation or they they're thinking in the shower or they're going to conferences or they're taking time off to learn. But like Simon said, over time, Darcy you said, you know, how do we measure how much value they added today? I don't think we measure it today. You don't do daily uh, performance reviews. Ideally, you wouldn't do annual performance reviews even. But I still think we can measure it. Yeah, but you're not you're not measuring a developer's productivity. You're measuring how long it takes for a story to get across the board. And in some circumstances, you may have one developer working on one story. In some circumstances, you may have four developers working on one story, or this story needed two of them, or this story needed all of them. Like, I don't think that you can look at a history, like a histogram of user story delivery and say that those stories are being delivered one every five days. And that's Simon. Or maybe you could, maybe Simon's the only guy on the team, in which case you're not going to fire him anyways. You might. I don't get along with the other people on the team. I'm thinking about firing Simon. Yeah, you probably should. I, no, I think there's a direct correlation there because we we know how long these stories take to go across the board, right? That's a metric we're measuring. And we can see how many people are assigned to the tasks. And again, averaging it out, you can say, well, look, the stories that Simon has been involved in in the last year have moved across the board at approximately this velocity. Compared with what he was doing last year, this seems like a lower velocity. Is it that his productivity is lower or is it that we've gotten better or worse at estimating stories? Is, is it that Simon's now mentoring some new developers and that's slowed down his personal velocity? Well, and then you also have the thing too, where you can game the system with that, right? So you could have somebody that takes really low hanging fruit uh, off the backlog and that's all they do. And so then it's like, wow, look how many, look how many stories they've moved across. Look how many points they've been able to, to accumulate. You know, that's, that's pretty impressive compared to this guy that's, that's taking, you know, seems to be going at a slower pace, but that other developer might be taking more meatier, more difficult stories that maybe are more points, but take more time to do. Now you have the discussion of, well, how do you assign value? Because you're looking at this holistically and yet at a lower level, you've got somebody that's, uh, that's, you know, doing minor code updates compared to developing new features. So that's, that's why I think it's, it's very, you really need to think through if you are going to come up with some sort of method of evaluating your developers, you really have to think through how you're going to do it so that you're actually getting the results that are, are indicative of what's happening in the real world. Yeah. I think you have to be very careful about what metrics you choose to, to measure to. I, I have this story about when I worked very briefly as a cashier at a supermarket 
in my teenage years that we were measured on the number of items you scan in a minute. But there are a couple of ways to game that system. Uh, and being measured on that metric encouraged gaming the system. So if you had, say, 10 cans of soup coming across, you could type like 10 quantity scan one, and but that would only count as one thing that you scanned. Or you could just scan them in rapid succession. Now, it would actually take you longer to scan those 10 cans of soup individually, but it would look better on your metrics. Uh, and you could uh, subtotal your, your order, which would pause the metric gathering. So there are lots of ways to do it. And you weren't getting people out the door faster, but you were increasing the number of scanned items per minute. Well, and that's why it's really important to understand, like, yeah, having having a metric like that, scanned items per minute, that doesn't that doesn't help anybody. That's like what would be a, a better metric is to say, how long does it take our customers from when they actually enter the line to when they exit the line? How long does that take, and how can we Im make make improvements to speed that up? And just looking at something like that where it can be gamed, I mean, it, it's a uh, it's a red herring. But you're also talking about a very linear process, and that's not what our field is. And on many teams that I've been on, it's not just about the story points that, you know, the stories that they have to handle. They're, they're also outside influences, right? And we had a little bit of a discussion about that this morning. There's always external factors of uh, distractions that can throw you off your flow. I think the whole idea of measuring a de developer's productivity when you're looking at tasks they've been assigned or, you know, how long it takes them or lines of code or however you want to measure it, I think is ridiculous. I think it's more so you understand, is that person a functioning member of the team? Have they produced results? The time it took is not an issue. It's have they consistently produced results? Were they able to, to you know, develop a feature that actually worked and was put out into production? But when you're looking at time-based um, estimates or uh, time-based uh, metrics, I think it's it's absolutely asinine because there's so many different factors that can change and impact your day that's no fault of your own. And I see developers get hit on it in performance reviews time and again, which is absolutely unfair. So to me, I feel like this is a really uh, touchy topic. And I think that there has to be a new approach for understanding a developer's worth on the team and what they bring and what their value is. Well, something that Darcy touched on in his example, getting customers through uh, the the door faster and and even you hinted at Lori is that we should evaluate why we're looking at an individual developer's productivity rather than say the team's productivity right? and if we look at how fast the team is getting through stories in general I think you'd get a better sense of the value that you're uh, adding to a process and then you can start tweaking say team dynamics versus an individual, what, why is this developer not working up to or his or her potential? So I think one of the things that's a root of all this discussion is that anything that we currently have talked about or that I've ever read about for measuring productivity is at its root pretty flawed data. It's either something that can be gamed really easily, like lines of code, or it's something that doesn't measure the whole uh, picture like how fast are stories moving across a board or something like that. So fundamentally, we need to rethink what the source of our data is for these types of metric and see if we can find something better. And I've never seen anything that can't be gamed or is uh, 
exclusive of other things like learning time or just sitting there thinking the problem through. Well, and the thing is too, it, again, it, it goes back to what, what are you, what are you, what are you hoping your team is going to look like? You know, like if, if we're measuring developer productivity, as far as whether it's story points or lines of code or anything like that, we're, we're specifically looking at developers as uh, sweatshop workers, as people that are just there to type on a keyboard and spit out code. And I mean, I've worked at places where they, the thought process was, you know, we're going to have people that have go time and at go time, everybody's sitting at their desk with their hands on their keyboards and they're typing away because that's the value that they provide. And, and that's, that's, that's a horrible way of looking at what software developers do. Going back to that Twitter uh, discussion that kind of started all this, there was one comment from one person in the discussion who was saying, you know, uh, how do you, how do you incentive, incentivize, uh, let me bring it up here. Uh, how do you how do you measure quality? How do you incentivize developers? And, and he says, I incentivize by having an open sharing culture and accountability, which sounds good. But then somebody asked him, well, doesn't individual velocity work against a sharing environment? And then his response later is, is, you know, well, I want a competitive culture because that produces better results. So, I mean, in that discussion, there was sort of this this idea that, you know, oh, we'll have this collaborative area that everybody's working together, but everyone's going to be, is going to be graded individually, um, which will make everybody more competitive and everybody will then work better. And I think, I, I feel like those two thoughts are counterintuitive. I think that it's almost like you have to look at it as I want to develop a really good team that can work together and be productive as a team, or I just want horsepower. And in that case, well, then you might as well just, you know, then you're looking for somebody totally different. So should we even be doing individual developer developer grading or should we really be looking at it as a team-based thing instead? I would say team-based. I would definitely say team-based because you have people that if they feel they're in co competition with, with each other, that's when finger pointing happens. That's when, you know, um, you know, everyone's blaming the other person for things that are going wrong. Nobody's taking responsibility. Nobody's looking for an active solution. Everyone's too busy looking at someone else to, to throw under the bus. But when you have the team be accountable as a team, then people are more cooperative, collaborative, and then they actually get things done because they know that when the, when they succeed, it's the it's they succeed as a team or they fail as a team. There's no individual uh, wins, and I just I just think that that's more um, that's how teams should be, and yet companies are still. I don't think they're on board with that or have moved towards that because there's still the individual performance evaluations. There's still the comparisons among your peers, which is ridiculous, you know, and unless they actually look at towards like getting rid of the performance evaluations individually and then measuring the team successes and rewarding the teams based on their successes, that's, um, that's when you'll get, I don't know, more cohesive, I guess. I don't know what I'm getting at. No, I, I think agree. you need to step back one step further, though, and say, what is the ultimate goal of knowing this? And that's going to drive whether you look at it as personal level or team level before anything else. I mean, if it's if the sole goal is to do personal yearly evaluations, then looking at it from a team standpoint is maybe not the right picture. It's maybe not the wrong picture by itself either but, but even um, yearly evaluations that's too long you don't you can't really remember everything in the course of a year if you're going to evaluate GitHub somebody, evaluate, never forgets 
No, it's not about the code. I say if you're going to do performance evaluations on, for an individual, I'd say evaluate them on their continued growth. Are they taking ownership of their career? Are they learning on their own? Are they growing in their skill set? That's what you like. That's what you rate them on an individual level. But then for the work in the company, that's a team-based evaluation. I think they have to be completely separate, and I think they have to be ongoing. It can't be just you know every six months or every year we'll talk about it. This should be an ongoing discussion. It doesn't have to be a formal meeting. It can be a one-on-one of this is how I feel you're you're doing. This is the skills that I think you need to start focusing on and growing in. Here's some professional development courses. That's your individual um, evaluation. And then as a team, you know, you have your, you know, sprint retrospectives and, and where you can talk about the team successes or the drawbacks or things that you can improve on. I think we need to do away with these formal evaluations, which just breed a lot of contempt and animosity because you're 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 going in there knowing your manager is going to talk to you about what you did wrong because that's their, they're supposed to make you, you know, help you improve. So they go in there with their, with their constructive criticism, but sometimes they don't deliver it as, as well as they should in a constructive manner. And it can come across as, you know, uh, hostile. And so, and then it breeds, you know, a hostile work environment, low morale, all these things. I just hate the way that the old system works. And I'd like to see more companies change that. Well, you know, Lori, one of the reasons why that happens is because people do criticize instead of critiquing, as we learned on a previous podcast where I looked up the definition. Um, but one thing I want to add to that is, yeah, one of the last places that I, I, I worked at, they actually had a really good system in place. What they did was they had a whole bunch of employees that were called career mentors. And career mentors, and when I say employees, I mean, like, that wasn't their job. They were just, they were consultants, but they were also had this role of career mentor. And each career mentor would have a certain number of other employees uh, that were part of their group. And they basically acted as um, as sort of the, uh, I don't want to say like, a, like an HR manager, but they were the person that sort of helped guide the other employees um, from a, from a, development perspective, a career perspective. And the way that it worked there was it wasn't just a year-end thing. It was as you went through your engagements throughout the year, you would be soliciting and getting feedback from your peers and from the people you reported to and everybody else uh, that was related to your project. And then you would actually have regular intervals, which could be monthly or it could be every couple months, where you're getting together for coffee, you're talking about how things are going, you're reviewing what the feedback looks like, so that at the end of the year, none of that is a surprise and you're actually able to make changes earlier on, as opposed to, like Lori said, you know, you at the end of the year, if you're walking into your performance review and that's the first time you're hearing things, well, then that's a broken system because if there's an issue, you want it corrected earlier on, right? Um, but the one thing that's interesting is that as part of these reviews, as you're going through, yes, a technical ability was maybe part of that, you know, can this person actually code? Can they do their job? But a lot of it was how did they relate to the team? Were they a good team player? Were they, uh, you know, did they did they make the work? Did they enhance the team's ability to, to perform the work? I think a lot of the things that we look at um, and that we grade people on, and I mean, well, I shouldn't say that we. I think there's different companies have different values, but in general, I would rather work with somebody who maybe needs to spend a bit more time training up on technology, um, but is great to work with and is collaborative and is helps the team move forward than a 
rockstar developer who's an asshole and nobody wants to work with him because he just cares about padding his stats by moving as many points on the board as he can. I, I agree. And soft skills are part of growing your skill set. So when I talk about that, it's not just about the technology. It's also about the softer side of understanding how to communicate with people and, uh, you know, work through art conflicts and uh, be a good team player. So that's also, and I think that's a skill that managers and developers and anyone in this industry often overlook as something that needs training. That's a professional development requirement. That should be something that they're looking at as well as the technical skills. And that's something I'm going to be talking about at Prairie DevCon, actually. One of my sessions is about the things that you need to do to improve yourself um, outside of just the technical capabilities. Is, is that Prairie DevCon happening in Winnipeg, April 11th and 12th, 2016, and registration is open right now? It sure is, Darcy. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask a question about uh, individual performance reviews. Assuming that people, what's the main reason that companies introduce performance reviews? Oh, I think a lot of it is probably based on wage increases or wage adjustments. So assuming that, I think that that's true too. It's basically who's up for the next promotion and how do you advance for through your career and stuff. So assuming that's correct, how else would you manage that process without individual performance reviews? Fight to the death. Oh, Jesus, I would lose that. Well, it depends who you're fighting. Yeah. He's got to pick a team with weaklings. Don't have to be the fastest, right? I'm more of an advocate for standardized salaries. And if you're at, you know, at a certain level and you've been this, you know, in the industry this many years and with the company this many years, there has to be some algorithm where you have a standard pay for that. And everybody on that level is at the same pay. And teams can earn bonuses, you know, for based on their deliverables, and that's separate from salary itself. Um, but there should always be some sort of increase in salary on a year-to-year -year basis, um, just for cost of like living, like the inflation rates, right? Um, and I don't, and I don't think a lot of companies do that. So a lot of people fall behind in what they should be making because they, they stay at a company too long and. Their, their salaries aren't being increased just with the basic cost of living, let alone with their years of experience there, let alone with the responsibilities that they have. So if there was more of a standardized pay level, I think the governments do that where they have certain roles at certain bands. And I mean, with not so much of a, a salary gap, like a $30,000 difference in the band, but that way they're consistently moving up, their salaries consistently increasing, but they get a bonus if their teams deliver, you know, X number of, times during the year. Are you advocating for a global software developers union? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I heard. That's what I heard in that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. So just because I've been there for longer, I'm going to end up being paid more, even if I'm not more productive than the, the new hotshot right out of school. Well, you wouldn't be there very long if you weren't productive. I'm sure that would weed itself out. So if you well, were a you'd have to have some sort of a metric for that. Street anywhere. <laughs> if you were a deadbeat, I'm sure, yeah, you'd be out pretty quick. Um, but no, it's essentially like it's it's a combination of years of experience and the role that you're in. And there has to be some standard way to measure to I not I don't want to say measure it, but like there's an out there has to be an algorithm to to address that. Uh, because I think pay equality is a separate issue 
but it kind of goes hand in hand with salary increases. Um, I don't think they should be arbitrary. I think there has to be just a, the, across the board, a flat way of determining how you get paid and how much you get paid. It's kind of what this is about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Laurie doesn't want to use the word measure, but that's because she's been arguing against measuring. But <laughs> she's also suggesting measuring here. I'm like, <laughs> you don't work as an employee, right, Laurie? This doesn't sound like it would stand up in court very well. <laughs> yeah, like, why, why do you work as a consultant, Laurie? Is it because you're really good at what you do and you can move around a lot instead of being an employee and falling into this range band? Yes. I think that you're arguing that everybody else should follow in, fall into this range map, but not you because you're spectacular. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that if you choose to be a full-time employee and you're going to dedicate that kind of time and loyalty to a company, they have a responsibility to make sure they you know, pay you fairly, they treat you fairly, uh, and there has to be that equal of respect, right? I'm going to be a stellar employee and you're going to be um, you know, a stellar employer and, and take care of me. We're going to take care of each other. But I don't see that. It's always a, you know, there's there's always someone being taken advantage of in that situation, and it's always the employee. And for me as a consultant, the reason I went into consultancy was because it offers me the ability to have more flexibility in my scheduling and you know taking some time off between contracts. And I really like that. I really enjoy having that downtime to to do with it as I will. And I usually use it to go to conferences or, you know continue growing my skill set in, in some way or shape or form, uh, just because I haven't found a company yet that enables that time to do that. So that's why I kind of went into, that's why I went into the consultant world. I, I think that performance review and salary review are totally separate things. I think that when you're doing your performance review, that's talking about, okay, as you are uh, an employee or a member of this team, how, how did you do? we have these expectations of you. How, did you did you meet them? Did you exceed them? Were there areas that, um, that you need to develop in? That is that discussion. The salary discussion is a separate thing. Um, and I think there's, there's even two levels within a salary discussion. For just actual salary, um, and this is what I've seen in the private sector anyway, there's, there's a lot of different factors that come into play based on a lot of different things. And it really is more of a negotiation to say, well, based on what I've done last year, um, you know, based on these uh, credentials I've acquired, based on these projects, whatever it is, moving up in a different position, you know, then, then I think we need to talk and adjust salary. The whole thing with bonuses, I've seen bonuses done really badly and really, really well. When it's done, re the main difference between really horrible bonuses and really good bonuses is really clear expectations on how to achieve them. So, you know, at a, at one place that I worked at, it was, it was just straight out. Everyone will receive this percent of a bonus. If we, as a company hit these gross sales goals for individuals, especially if they were in certain leadership positions, here are the things that we need you to do. And if you hit these, then that equates to a certain performance bonus. And so those things can be, can be, uh, really well uh, distilled. But when it comes to just discussing salary and performance, there, there's a bit of a yin and yang, but I don't think that they're necessarily joined. You can have a performance review that has absolutely nothing to do with a salary discussion. I would tend to agree with that. I think there's a lot of salary discussion happens with what I'm making compared to the next person. And I've always based my salary on, do I feel like I'm getting paid 
based on the value that I'm delivering, right? If I was at a company where they said, you know, here's, we're looking at introducing a, um, what do they call it, a career development plan or something. So you start as whatever junior programmer and you make your way up to programmer. And I just don't have the patience for that. Uh, I think it's better for, for each developer to kind of take it on themselves to decide if they're getting paid according to their expectations. Yeah. Right. And if they're not, then, then say something. I I would encourage everybody, if you're not getting paid what you think you should be uh, getting paid, then come up with a number that you should be getting paid and say something to the person that's in charge. But also make sure that you, you know why you think you should be getting paid that. Exactly. Don't just say, well, it's because this person's getting paid this much. And I'm pretty sure that the, in Silicon Valley, they're making six figures. Yeah. Or even the thing about longevity, you know, how long someone's been in a position. Um, you know, if you've, if you've been writing, if you've been doing web forms only for the last 15 years and you've never touched MVC, you've never touched um, anything to do with with Ajax or asynchronous programming or anything like that, um, then it's very well that, you know, from a skills and demand point of view, you may be well behind somebody that's only got five years in the industry. So length length of time in the industry in that is uh, is a really, uh, is not a great way to to uh, gauge value necessarily. It's about, it's about what you've done, not necessarily how long you've been doing something. Well, and it's also the skill set you have, right? Because there is a difference between a C++ expert and, you know, a PHP uh, guy. And I mean, every, every you, you can see the disparity in, the, in what salary expectations are, depending on what programming languages you know and what other skill sets you have behind you, whether it's project management or uh, systems analyst or whatever it is, whatever it may be. Um, but it's also, it's also important to do some research online just to see like on pay scale, like what, what is the average range of, of salary for this type of role? Because early on in my career, before pay scale even existed, I went into a company, you know, I was making a move after uh, a few years and thought, okay, I'm going to go to this company. And I threw down a salary that I thought, you know, I, you know, was good. And I was like, yeah, I expect, you know, this much. And they're like, no problem. And they hired me up. And after a year in my performance review, my manager apologized to me because I was getting paid $18,000 less than everybody else that year because I simply had asked for what I thought was a fair amount. And their pay scale for that role was a lot higher. And he didn't tell me that. He's just like, well, she's going to come in $18,000 lower. Sure, no problem. And then a year later when he saw how, you know, I was very performant on the team. I was, you know, really, uh, you know, skilled at what I was doing. I think he was afraid of losing me if I caught wind. And so then he upped my salary to what it should have been. So for one year, I lost $18,000. And so that's why I'm saying... That's the thing, though. You think you've lost $18,000, but that's the value that you placed yourself on the role that that you were uh, hired to fill. Because at the time, I wasn't as educated as to what that role, what the actual value of, of, of that role was. And people in the same role as me were getting paid a hell of a lot more. And I don't think... That because they very, asked for it. Yeah, but that's because they were aware of the market, and I was very naive and still fresh out of school. So that's what I'm saying. It's that's what I'm saying that there has to be an algorithm of, of a minimum salary. Like if you're doing this job, you're getting this, and everyone else that's doing that same job is getting this. There has to be some pay equity across the board there. 
there is opportunity to take advantage of people in situations like that. And I've been taken advantage of quite a lot in my last 20 years. Uh, and that's just one example of many. Um, so that's why it's really sensitive topic for me. So I get really passionate about it. So I apologize if I'm taking over the, the, the conversation here, but that's right. That's, I'll that's... edit out your passion. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's why I'm saying there has, it's, you can value yourself at a certain level, but if everyone else that's doing the same job values themselves a lot higher and a company's paying them more, well, then that's that's not fair, right? Just because you didn't know any better, that's that's not fair. Well, I always said when I was consulting, if you know, I had my rate. I asked the, what are they called? Headhunters. I said, this is my rate. And I really honestly couldn't care less what they charged me out at. They could charge me out at 500 bucks an hour, Right. And if they are able to do that, then more power to them. I know what I wanted and what I was expected to get. And if so, I guess, yeah, there should be some onus on the employer to pay you what they have a better idea of what the, what the uh, scale is uh, for the market because they've got real live data. But I still think at the end of the year, you should have a better idea. You should be doing some research and saying, well, I, you know, based on what I'm hearing from other people, I don't think I'm getting enough and bring that up. I say, I think my salary should be $20,000 higher. So I was in the same situation at one point as Lori just described, took a job and found out, I think it was almost the same thing, found out 12 months later that I was the lowest paid person on the team and not by a substantial amount, by more than what Lori said as well. I was like twenty five or $30,000 lower than everyone else on the team. And, and I was working as a team lead for the team at the time. The, the way that I think about that situation now is that I asked for a salary during my hiring process and I was happy with what I was getting. All factors that I put into the um, decision-making process, the salary and all the other factors was good for me. Um, and that's what mattered in the end. I could have been mad and said, my God, I'm making $30,000 less than everyone else. What a travesty and it's not fair and all those things. But the fact of the matter is when I made the decision to take that salary, it was good for me and I was fine with that. When my decision point changed or my, my recommendation of that or my acknowledgement of that salary was different, then it was time for me to either go to them and ask for more money or to move on and find somewhere that would pay me more. But the decision point when I said salary X is good for me, that's all that matters to me. And it's the same when I go consulting, like Kyle was saying, um, you know what? I want to make X per hour. I'm happy with that. I can live off of it. I think it's good value for my time. So I'll take it. Whatever the rate they bill me out as, not my business in the end. So I think ultimately the onus is on both parties. One, the the employer knows better what the scale is, so they should have some semblance of morality around not being way under for one person. But it's also on the shoulders of that person to say, this is good enough for me and I'm happy with that. And if it's not, then maybe I shouldn't accept this position. They'll be very quick to tell you if your number is too high. So it would be nice if they could do the same if your number was way too low. But yep. And I've had, that, way I've had that happen a number of times where I've gone in and I've said, I would like to get this amount of money for a, a salary or a rate. And they accept it right off. And my thought there 
lots of the times is, well, man, I should ask for more. It was too easy. If they, if it had been, if I'd asked for too much, they would have negotiated it down, but obviously I'm asking for too little. But then I step back to that same point of saying, you know what, what I asked for is what I was comfortable with. So I'm good with that. Now this goes back to our women in technology conversation though. I mean, it's just people taking advantage of the, this insane predisposition to hide things. I'm hiding my salary. I'm hiding the salaries of everybody so that I can take advantage of having all the information. And in the women in technology thing, it was like we realize it's kind of chronic that this is feeding the underpay of women in technology. And this is just exactly the same. And we all felt that was wrong that someone would have to even ask. Like, when are we going to stop making people ask or force a situation? I don't know, just that, you know, I mean, understanding people's ability to deliver stuff and how good they are at delivering stuff is a completely different conversation than fairness and pay and all of that stuff. I, I tend to agree with that, the whole lack of openness um, in general in North American society about your your uh, what you get paid for your job is part of the problem. Um, when I go overseas, people talk about it much more openly and it doesn't seem to be as stressful a situation within their work environments of people wondering, does that person make more than me, but they do less type of things. That's and you know, that's where if we get back to like, just how do we measure developer performance? And my, my little bit in Slack when we had our little side rant to the Twitter rant was like, I don't think you should measure developer performance. I mean, everybody on the team has a kind of a tacit understanding of how we all deliver. Managers have a understanding of how they deliver, but they need something, some metric, some number that enables them to go off and hoard information or make a decision that, you know, now these numbers are, someone just created them just to support an, uh, a goal of, of trying to manage their people without having to actually be a good manager and be involved with what their people are working on. So if you're a manager and you're giving a budget of whatever, $5 million for salaries, what method do you come up with for doling that out, measuring? I, I do exactly what the guys at Ant Simulator did, and I go blow it all at a bar and restaurants. Okay, maybe not you specifically, oh. but uh, sort of the general you. What would a sensible person do with $5 million to try to determine how salaries are handed out? So I would measure all of my developers' productivity and just take it out, normalize it to 100% and just dole it out that way. And then we get to back, like, well, what is developer productivity? What are the things that impact developer productivity? I don't think a manager should even worry about salary. Managers should worry about his team. What are they, are they producing results? Are they, you know, effective in the company? Are they delivering what they're saying they're going to deliver? And Forget about salary. That should never be up to the manager's discretion as far as deciding what salaries people get. That should be a top-level executive decision. Pay bans, standard pay, done. And then that lets the managers focus more on the actual team metrics. Because if they're not thinking about how am I going to compensate this team for this effort, then they can focus solely on 
how they're actually performing and not being a little bit biased to try and kind of draw them back to say, well, you're not doing as good as I expected. It's, it's the, that should just be removed from the equation so they can really provide an honest view and, and provide honest feedback about how that t- team is, is performing. I agree hundred percent. Hold on, Dave. I just got to say for posterity's sake, I was totally being sarcastic about that normalizing people into a 100% after measuring them somehow. <laughs> But I agree, like that Laurie's point is really good. Like, don't worry about salaries. Like I know that's how it works, right? Gain, measure someone's performance so that HR can throw them into a band. But I mean, if managers stop focusing on worrying about that aspect of it, if they and the HR organization didn't have to worry about it, and you just worried about delivering good stuff, does my team have the capability to deliver on this project? How, when, how? If one guy is a weak link. And there are always, there's like, you know, there's lots of times when we're all the weak link in a particular situation. Well, not Donald or Lori, but then you can focus on just making sure your team is performing, adjusting the resources or the team members on the, on that team and, and deal with that. So even with those standardized pay bands though, I mean, you're, you're still gonna have to measure something in order to make the decision of when somebody is bumping up into a new pay band. No, no, no. It's, there's. No, you have to no. make a decision, but you don't have to measure something. You have to make the decision when they get into that. Okay, how do you make that decision then? Ask their peers. Ask the manager who is it actually involved in their work. I don't think you need to measure their K-lock or the stories that they were participated on that got into production, which is out of their hands a lot of the time, anyways. So it's basically what the manager thinks. Well, that was my that was my that was my premise in in the slack conversation like a manager is going to make a decision based on his gut anyways if you tell people about measurement metrics they're going to game them if you don't tell them about it but you're measuring them then you're not even sure what you're actually measuring and you're just going to make something up to support your case i think so this is just going to become a popularity contest like high school again i feel like i'm probably not going to earn enough money in that case No, I don't. I don't think it should be a popularity contest. I think it should be like a. Well, manager. you're basically suggesting it. Like the manager is going to choose people that he or she likes. Yeah, and they do that, and they do do that. It's, That's why I'm saying take it out of the manager's yeah. hands. Absolutely. Yeah, the the idea here is that we should try and take this personal bias away from this and that's what measuring is trying to do. Like we're trying to come up with some way to to back this up so that the reason that Jill earns more than me isn't because everybody likes Jill and nobody likes me. There's got to be some backup, some reason as to why there is this difference. Well, but wait a minute though. Wait a minute. If Hang on a second. But why does everybody not like you? Is it because you're not a team player? Is it because you don't participate in the betterment of the team? Is it because you're off trying to be just a rock star developer and doing your own thing and showing everybody how awesome you are by, by, you know, putting in, crazy hours and punching out as much code as you can because then i think that there would be an an argument there that would say that if if what's valued by the team is cohesion and collaboration and being part of a team then yeah you're not performing to that and no you shouldn't be rewarded just because maybe you can cut code faster than everybody else because on a whole you're you're actually failing thing is that jill just bakes better cookies than me well, if you're in a bakery, then that's a different discussion. Well, not in a bakery, but she brings <laughs> those cookies in and everybody eats them and likes them. And 
you know, I, I can't even make bread that rises properly. It, what, what I'm what I'm hearing is I think everybody's kind of it's it, what's interesting to me is everybody seems to be coloring this discussion based on their past experiences, right? Um, you know, for me, I've I've had not so great managers and I've had some great managers, and um, you know, I, there are certain situations where I have absolutely no problem. When I think back, those managers that were the ones making the salary call, uh, it you know it was fine, and I trusted what they were what they would do. And then there were other managers where I'd look at, and for sure I'd be like, no, there's so many ulterior motives that uh, that I totally get why people are very very defensive and guarded when it comes to having to talk about this because it it feels like you're instead of it being two two members of a team, it's you versus the business, and you're each trying to scrape by as many dollars as you can. Well, we we've come around uh, quite a long discussion here. I don't know how well we we stuck to <laughs> our original topic. I feel like this is one of our podcasts where we just went off and talked about random stuff and about why people are earning money and why they're not. But that's good. I think this is an interesting conversation, and it's probably one that we haven't quite managed to solve today. Unlike normally, where we solve problems and everybody should listen to our podcasts to find the solutions to the problems we solved in the past. I really, I really don't think that there's, that there's necessarily one single solution to this. I mean, you know, the ideas of having standardized pay bands and everything else is great, but the reality is also that different organizations and companies are going to be structured differently. A startup is going to have a very different structure than an established enterprise that's been around for 50 to 100 years. Um, a public entity is going to be very different from any private entity that's out there. So well, we mentioned this on Slack. You also measure productivity different for employees versus consultants. Yeah, that you bring in. exactly. Exactly. Right. So... Okay, I feel like the solution is probably Marxism, but that's a, a conversation we'll have to put off for another day because we're coming up to the end of our time here. So thanks everybody for coming out and having such a really interesting conversation this week. And we will be back again next week. Thanks, Cheers. Thanks, so. thanks everyone.